Hello everyone, welcome back to Point of Insanity Game Studios Gamers Gambit. I am Al, and with me is a man whom I smile because he's my cousin, and I laugh because there's not a damn thing he can do about it. How's it going today, Wayne? It is wonderful today. How about you? Oh, not too bad. So, hopefully you all are surviving quarantine, and... You know, actually, video games, I think, have been very important towards uh, the, you know, the quarantine and some of the events that have uh, been going on. And we're certainly going to be discussing that later. But didn't some highly anticipated video game come out last month? Um, I don't know. I I mean, I'm sure. You're talking about Fallout 76 Wasteland, right? I uh, never heard of that one. I thought there was some other game that everyone was, like, all excited about. And, like, you know, for years and years and years where, you know, there were rumors of a remake of it. Isn't Didn't that game come out recently? Oh, you know, you mean that big, the biggest flop ever? The, the Final Fantasy VII remake? Oh, yeah, nobody, I mean... Nobody's talking about? Nobody, there's no controversies and there's nothing going on with it at all? Yeah, because, I mean, come on, Final Fantasy VII, you, you, look, you look at the grand scheme of things, that was not a very important game in the franchise's history, was it? Oh, God, not at all. It, it was just kind of was, a flash in the pan, you know, I mean, it, it, it was there on the PS1, and no one really cared about it very much when it came out, and it still does, it didn't really gain too much of a fan base, and, oh, wait a second, oh, I'm sorry, uh, it's it's a little too late for April Fool's, isn't it? A little bit, <laughs> but it did so, come out. So that was the biggest, almost April Fools' as at all. It's like with uh with the coronavirus and everything, the physical copies were like supposedly hard to find, but supposedly come out early. Like for mine, it was supposed to be delivered on uh, April tenth. It it took um, till the next Tuesday afterwards to actually get to me instead of on release date. Um, I don't know about how many other people had to search around for it if they wanted a physical copy, but kind of kind of weird that some places were giving it out early, some places were late, some people got it on time. Yeah, I remember uh, before the due date, Square had released a press uh, had released a press conference or uh, something like that where they were talking about how you know, yes, we are we are aware with the coronavirus, things are you know, kind of strange, but we're going to try to get it out as best we can. And of course, if you were going to get a digital copy, you were all set because that is one of the nice things about digital downloads. You don't have to worry about going to the store and standing in line. You just, hey, log in and download. So, so you actually had a chance to pick up the seven remake. What are your thoughts of it so far? I love it. I will say that I'm not one of the people who cares if they change the story at all. I've been looking forward to the game for a while, and they have said they're going to change the story a little bit. Um, I'm not going to go into any spoilers, but there are some different scenes and different aspects to the story. The sad part, which still with the with the future of the game i was hoping they would go more into the crisis core story and add some of the crisis core information to the final fantasy 7 remake and kind of kind of merge the worlds as it were and the storylines so it made one good kind of collective story i haven't seen too much of that yet but the battle system final fantasy 15's battle system was kind of just a blank slate, I want to say. It, it, the one thing that was grumpy about Final Fantasy XV, at least I thought, was it didn't really differentiate itself versus any other real adventure, kind of action-adventure game. So it was kind of like the magic system wasn't there. The system, though, actually uses the materia, uses a regular battle system, and, I, and I've been enjoying it. I can't, I can't say that... It needed to be there, but I can't say that it's any worse off for being there, if that makes sense. Yeah, so the, because yeah, that is one thing that did surprise me about 15, is there really wasn't an emphasis on magic, because it was really weird, because he had these, like, spheres, and you had to absorb energy 
from these crystals you would find and then you would put them in these spheres and you would get these you know the that would be your spell that you would use but i generally didn't use the spells in the game for the most part i always just used pretty much pressed the button and kept hitting something until it died but i do have to say Controlling Prompto is actually the most fun, in my opinion, because he gets the guns and it it gives a whole new feel to the game because it almost turns it into more of like an action adventure to RPG uh, where, you know, again, it's more than just pressing the button and hoping the computer tells you that you hit something. Yeah. So how does the character control work in that one? Is it because I've noticed that with the. The last few ones I've played, 15, 13, I did start playing 12 uh, since, and I did actually get a chance to play 9 and 10. (laughs) Actually, 12 isn't too bad. I just can't play it for long periods of time because, as we've discussed before, I'm one of those people where I tend to get motion sick real easily. So when you have games where you have to, like, look around all the time, I do hate how the camera angles sometimes change, especially when you're in, like, stores and you're trying to get out. I mean, it doesn't seem too bad so far. But back to what I was saying, because I noticed that, okay, like, in 10 was the last one that felt familiar to me, where, again, you determine, you know, it's, like, turn-based, where it's, like, okay... I'm going to have this character attack and this character cast a spell and this character use an item where, and and then going to 13 where it's like you're pretty much just controlling one character and you have absolutely no input in what the other characters do. Well, actually you have a little bit because thir- for those of you who've never played 13, you get something called paradigm shifts where there's one that focuses on physical attacks, there's one that focuses on healing, there's one that focuses on magic, and I know there's also one that focuses on debuffing the enemy. So, you know, you choose which one of those, uh, you know, shifts that you want to use, but other than that, you don't really have any control over the other two characters. Twelve, you know, again, for the most part, you're controlling one character, and the computer controls the other characters in the party but you do have the option of selecting what they you know what their general behaviors are going to be yeah that was the good part of that game was that you could select uh it was called the gambit system yep and for your ai people you could just go no do this now that is going to be the one complaint i i found with final fantasy 7 remake if you don't change your people. At least I, I had to drop down to an easy uh, mode because they are dumb. AI <laughs> companions are dumb. I was sitting there doing everything I could to a boss do, and trying to going, oh, I need to heal. So I switched over to another character just so I could use their AP to heal. But they had no AP and it felt like they were just standing around not doing anything. And I'm like, Guys, I need to use a item. I need you to use a cure spell for me. I need you to do anything but just sit around and not do anything. I don't know if it was just something I was doing wrong. Some people say that it, it that when you're on normal mode, it kind of forces you to use different characters at different times. So even if you want to just play as Cloud, or if you want to just play as like Tifa or whatnot, you may have to change characters out. Otherwise, the AI is going to penalize you for not using the right character at the right time. And that was just a bit of sad stuff that I had, because I'm like, otherwise, why are your AI companions there if, if you have to control them when they should be on auto? If that makes sense. Yeah. And that's one thing where now that I think about it, the Gambit system from 12, I wonder why they didn't carry that over to 13 because it it seemed like it it seems like it works fairly well because like one of the things you can do is if you you can tell your AI controlled uh, party members, like let's say one of the party leader is down to 50 percent uh, HP, then you can say, OK, use a potion on that person 
Um, or if you have lots of potions and you don't want to be stingy, you could always say, okay, when they're down to 70 HP, use a potion on them. But yeah, I don't know why they took that away for 13. And then 15, yeah, I mean, for the most part, at least from my experience, I, I think the AI-controlled uh, party members usually were pretty good. But then again, most of the time it was just keep hitting something until it falls. So you're so basically for seven, you don't control. It's not like the original seven where you issue commands. You just focus on one character, and then the computer does the rest. Pretty much in a way, um, you do switch characters, but when you're when you're switching characters, you lose control of the other two because they go into an AI mode. Now there is I haven't tried this yet, but there is a mode that's a classic mode that's supposedly a little bit more like the classic turn-based system. But since I'm trying to play the game through on its intended playing i may once i finish it i may try another playthrough on the uh classic level so i can see how that works but right now since i haven't been focused on that i haven't tried that yet so but it does have that i, I just don't know how good or bad that is so have you beat the the game yet or are you still still working at it no because uh because of uh, school and going and working on um, overtime. I haven't actually got a lot of play play time. Um, I've been watching a couple of my roommates play it and uh, friends, but other than that, I haven't really gotten a chance to get through it yet. I want to say I'm about halfway through, if not a little bit more. Yeah, and one of the things I've heard. I guess it's not like the... Because I know the original version was multi-disc, so I guess it's going to be the same way with the remake, where, uh, at least my son, what he heard is that, you know, what you have on the, the 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 remake disc is pretty much everything that happens in Midgar. And then I guess they're going to release the other game, the rest of the game, in increments. I'm not really a fan of that particular model, because, I mean, I suppose it depends on how much of the game they could really fit on one disc. So I don't know if it's just that. Well, because, well, I mean, just to go back to the original Final Fantasy VII, I know one of the reasons that they decided to go disc-based instead of sticking with the cartridges is because they wouldn't have, well, first of all, it wouldn't have... Uh, fit the game, disc. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't have fit on a cartridge they would have had to take a lot of the game out. And then I know uh, also there was a... The game as they intended didn't really run... Wouldn't have ran very well on the Nintendo 64's hardware. So Square pretty much realized we have to go disc-based on this one. Otherwise, it's probably would not be a very memorable game. So I wonder if it's a situation like that. Uh, I mean, I'd ask honestly. No, be... no, no. Okay, so here's the thing: is and Square, there's no real way for you to talk to me, and not that you would care anyway. But deal with it. It's a money grab. It's totally just a money grab. There's no way this game could not have been done. Slash, I, there. I, I like what they've done. They have so much polish on it. I don't I don't disagree. A lot of the concerns that people have will be patched out. But them saying how they want to release it in multi parts and that it couldn't have been done any other way or it that's all bullshit. That that's just I I just can't believe it's true. Now with Nomura at the helm uh, I think that's who it is. He's the guy from Kingdom Hearts, right? Maybe because it would just take him too long to do that. But the what that's the one thing that I'm afraid of, because there's been news that they're looking to change this into like smaller sections and release smaller sections at a time and monetize the hell out of it. And my problem is, is I don't know if anybody's going to like that. And if it takes too long for them to bring out the other 
sections of this game, you're either going to have people who are waiting till the end and possibly won't care, you know what I mean, when all the sections get released, or you're going to have people who it's just too long and they're no longer invested in it after getting this first part. I just don't know. I understand what you're saying, and see, because I was just wondering if there was there just wasn't enough space on the disc to put more than just like the first, you know, the first segment. I mean, I'm curious to know how much of the how much storage space is used up on that one disc that you get. But um, I mean, oh, go ahead. remember that's not that's not a concern really anymore though, because most games aren't all on the disc anymore. Half of it downloads anyway. So yeah. nowadays with any game you get, day one patch plus half the game is usually something that has to be installed from the internet anyway once you get it. You don't normally get a full game on a disc anymore anyway. So, I mean, the entire game is about 80 to 100 gigs. So it is huge. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Yeah, and I mean... I was not a fan of the model that they used when they released Final Fantasy IV The After Years uh, because, see, the way that worked when it was on the Wii Virtual Console anyway uh, is you first you downloaded, for $5 you could get Part 1. And then after you completed Part 1, you had the option to buy Part 2, which was another, you know, like $3. So, okay. For $8 to get a 16-bit era game, or a 16-bit style game on the Wii Virtual Console, not bad. I mean, that was that that's about how much they were charging for Super Nintendo games on the Wii Virtual Console. So, okay, that's, that's no big deal. But if you wanted to get the full story, you had to purchase all these other chapters. And, I mean, I don't... I'm not a fan of how that worked because when they released the game on the PSP, you you could get the entire game right away on one disc. It's like, I almost wonder, okay, why didn't you just release this as a disc and charge us $30 for it? Because that's about how much it would cost to buy the entire, all the stuff anyway. But, I don't know, uh, who knows sometimes what they're thinking in these video game companies other than money, 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 money. So here's here's one thing. I mean, the, the Final Fantasy VII Remake, we do know that it's had a storied past. Um, a, ga a game company called CyberConnect at one point had full control over it, and then it was transferred over to Square Enix itself. Um the production quality on the game is very expensive. One of the reasons why they may be doing this is to make sure that they can get as much of their investment back as possible, especially considering how they couldn't, they couldn't outsource it. Right. So at first, maybe, I mean, why would you outsource one of the most looked forward to games of practically i don't know what's after a decade <laughs> because it's <laughs> you know how long has it been since the original one released i mean i mean it might be the decade but you know what i mean is why would you outsource it uh, two no they wanted to change up the story which i was okay with because uh, because supposedly according to the original release of final fantasy 7 they never got to tell the entire story that they wanted to anyway that's why they made the collection. That's why they made Advent Children and some of the other games in the series. So don't get me wrong. Well, I say it's BS, right? I, I can see some of the reasons why they want. I just don't know if it was the right marketing move because they may have lost sales for people who are just like, well, when you release it as a total package, I'll buy it. Yeah, and the I think you also made another good point earlier. If it's too long between releases, people aren't gonna might not care anywhere any down the line. I mean, yeah, you're always gonna have the hardcore Final Fantasy fans that'll be that'll purchase it, but I, I mean, I, I I was gonna compare it to a movie. 
because I know with like the Star Wars movies, there were a couple of years between the movies, but it's like, that's a little different, I think, than a video game because, okay, if you, I guess here's the way I see it. I mean, the, the original seven was three discs, right? Yeah. So it's like, okay, what if they re- did that back then where it's like, okay, you released the first disc and now you have to wait another year or two before you can play the second half part of the game. And then once you get to that part, then now you have to wait another couple years before you can play the final part. So, I mean, if that's the model they're going to use, yeah, I'm going to be one of those people where if I'm interested in playing this game, I would just rather wait five, six years and be so I can play the entire thing at once instead of you know, instead of having to wait, you know, play a third of the game, wait a couple years, play the next third of the game, wait a couple more years. So, and remember, there's some people out there who aren't going to even want to play this game anyway because it's not the remake they wanted. Because remember, most people wanted the Advent Children graphics with the original game that's all they wanted they didn't want any new storyline they didn't want a new battle system they wanted a one-to-one remake or uh what what's it called when not when you remake but remaster they didn't want any changes to the story they just wanted advent children graphics and that's and that's the other thing is there's you know not that they're concerned probably but with some of the story changes in how controversial supposedly some things are at the end, you may have lost some of your customers after because they just took a step back and said, hey, we're we're not going to change the story up anymore. It's going to be full Final Fantasy VII story after this. But at the same time, there's a good chunk of the fan base who, again, you had the Advent Children graphics. For the CGI, why couldn't you have just done a one-to-one remake uh, or remaster, remaster, you know what I mean, just using these new graphics? See, and I I, I think gamers' expectations have changed a lot over the years. So I think that if they are going to be making changes to the story, I can see them, I can certainly understand. And we're going to talk more about that. Uh, later on when we move on to our opinion section so as we now know the of course we're doing social distancing and everything's closed down well not everything of course um but a lot of places are closed down so in a way video gamers we're we're good at this social distancing stuff i mean i've seen jokes go around it's like okay any old school gamer like people our age We've been playing so we've been practicing social distancing since the 1980s. <laughs> so, what are some games that you've been using to deal with the social distancing and the fact that because of all the stay-at-home orders and the shelter-in-place, you know, you can't go to as many places, you can't go out to places like you used to. Persona Five, the Royal came out about two, one or two weeks before Final Fantasy VII Remake. Final Fantasy VII Remake I've been playing. Uh, we got some free games like Pac-Man Championship Edition for PS, PS4. Um, and, of course, I've um, been tr- working on some Final Fantasy XIV because, you know, a good MMO will get you through. Plus, you're socially distant with not really being socially distant, you know, because you're distant, but you still got people online to play with. Yeah, and for me, I mean, I started playing Final Fantasy XII. Like I said, I, I play it as I can until the, the motion sickness kicks in. I've been doing more with my, with my uh, you know, mobile games. I've talked about Final Fantasy Record Keeper, a game that I've been playing since near the beginning, so I've been playing that. Uh, other than that, I mean, mostly... Okay, I have a confession to make. My wife and son are in the Animal Crossing cult. Oh, I've been thinking about it, but I'm I'm not sure... I, I just... I'm, I'm just not sure. It's like, do I really want to go into the Animal Crossing? There's an island waiting for me, supposedly, but I, I don't know. 
if if that's an if that's a trip I want to take. See, and I've watched them play it, and it's kind of relaxing. I mean, it's not my type of game, but I I mean, if you like games, in a way, it's kind of like Minecraft where you just kind of build things, and okay, you have your tools that break every now and then, so okay, you have to make new ones. So for a situation like that, I I mean, if those are your types of games, hey, more power to you. And it's actually gotten pretty popular. Uh, the I was reading one article that because of the whole quarantine, uh, Nintendo Switches are actually becoming a, just about as hard to find as they were when the the Nintendo Switch first came out. So a lot of people have been snagging those up. And I mean, I'm not sure how many are just doing it to play Animal Crossing, but you know, so they've gotten into that. And I think online trailers said it best or not online trailers, honest trailers. They were doing one on Animal Crossing and then they're like, then jump into the online portion and realize that when it comes to the online, Nintendo can't do anything right. And go visit your friends' islands and then find out there's not really much to do except hit each other with axes. <laughs> oh, that's speaking of Switch, by the way, I just thought of another game I was playing for a little while. Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition. Oh my gosh, just had to say that, because I was just like, oh my god, I forgot I was playing the Switch as well. Yeah, I'm surprised my son never really wanted to check that one out, because he's a he he's a pretty big Zelda fan. But, as I've mentioned before, my son is weird, where he'll, like, go through... He goes through phases, where it's like, for a while, he only wants to play Mario games, then he only wants to play Sonic games, then he only wants to play Zelda games... Then he only wants Pokemon. Then he goes back to only wanting to play Mario. Uh, so right now, I think Animal Crossing is his big thing. So, so, so true or false? Should I be playing the new Pokemon game? I've never touched a Pokemon game before. Should I care? I haven't played it. So you're talking about Pokemon Sword and Shield? Yeah. Yeah, I haven't played it. Well, you've touched Pokemon games. You've played uh, Pokemon Go, right? Oh yeah, well that, but that was more I know of you're a talking about a AR real Pokemon. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it depends. If Poke those types of games are your thing, then hey, the, you probably would like it. Yeah, but like I said, I've never, other than Pokemon Go, I mean, my when uh, Pokemon when the the two Pokemon's okay, what were the first two Pokemon games for the Switch? I know there was the like there was the version with Eevee, and then there was there was the one with Pikachu, where blue, the, and, blue and green or yellow and something. I don't. I, I don't remember what they. I think they just call it Pokemon Eevee and Pokemon Pikachu, where the big gimmick is you could get this uh, con special controller that looked like a Pokeball. Oh yeah. And well, it was let's supposed go to... Eevee and let's go Pikachu. Yeah, you're right. Let's go... Because it was supposed to also work in conjunction with your Pokemon Go, I think. Yeah. But So video games, you know, they're definitely helping people survive this... Mm. The quarantine and the social distancing. Because they're giving you... They give you these fun little distractions, you know, to take your mind off the fact that you can't go anywhere and... You know, when you do go out, you have to take precautions so you don't risk getting sick. Well, not too long ago, uh, I caught an episode of Game Theory where they actually talked about how World of Warcraft m could have helped slow the spread of the, the current COVID-19. And they were actually referring to a, something that happened back in 2005. So any listeners we have who have been playing World of Warcraft for a while know that we're referring to the 2005 Corrupted Blood incident. So for those who don't really play the game or maybe if you haven't if you're not familiar with the Corrupted Blood incident, what happened is back in 2005 they introduced a high-level raid for characters who were at the maximum level at the time. And during that raid, the boss could inflict a condition on you called corrupted blood and what it would do is it would cause you to slowly lose hit points 
it was around 250 hit points every few seconds. And part of the problem with this, this corrupted blood condition is that you could spread it to other players just by being close to them. However, once you left the area for the raid, the system wiped the condition clean from your character. So your character didn't carry it out into the rest of the world with him or her. However, they forgot to include one little detail. If you had a pet with you, an animal companion, they could also catch the corrupted blood. However, the system did not remove the corrupted blood status from your animal companions when you left the raid. So as a result, it started to spread all across the the, the continent. And I forgot the exact numbers, but you know there were several servers, and I think there were million, a couple of million. Uh, players that were infected with the corrupted blood. I've seen the videos and I've seen what actually happened. I wasn't playing at the time. I forget when I started playing um, officially um, for World of Warcraft, but I had a friend who's been playing since the start and he told me that uh, every once in a while people would kite different creatures around and drag them into the major cities and just do things like this, you know what I mean, that uh, the bosses were enraged and, and then all of a sudden nobody could kill them. It would just linger and do this. This was a huge, huge thing, though, because, you know, people, until they put in the hot fix, I think, you know, everybody just kept on getting, you know, this corrupted blood on them, and they just couldn't escape from dying every five seconds, you know, it's like... Yeah, because the Matt Pat. Uh, the host of Game Theory, made a very interesting point that, see, in a way there were certain parallels to the current epidemic, and I guess you could say this, uh, you know, has the same thing applies to other outbreaks. Now, in the case of the Corrupted Blood, if you are a high-level character, okay, you're losing 250 hit points or so every few seconds, but... You know, if you have several thousand hit points, you can at least try to heal yourself to keep your keep yourself in the game, at least when you were in that raid. But if you were a low-level player, and let's say you only had a thousand hit points, and you get hit with the corrupted blood, you know, if you have less than a thousand hit points, boom, 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 you're dead. And the what happened is during the incident there were some players that they were trying to do what they could to help. If their players had, if their character had healing abilities, they would go and try to help heal other characters, which Matt Pat points out parallels to what doctors and nurses are doing right now. And he also noted that, you know, what some players tried to do well, because for of course the plague was worst in the areas where there were the most players, the cities, yep. um, and because of the way that the the code spread through the game, a player character could spread that infection to an NPC. But since the NPCs didn't show signs, and you know they weren't programmed to lose hit points, but they could still carry the disease you might be near an NPC that's infected with corrupted blood and not know it. So then all of a sudden, that before you know it, boom, your character is now infected with the blood and pretty much there's not much you can do until you eventually die. However, there were some players that decided they were going to try to avoid the large cities and they tried to, to stick to the more isolated areas of the game to minimize their chances of catching the disease. Now, also what Blizzard tried to do before they patched it is they tried to set up a quarantine zone so to try to minimize the spread of this, this plague. But unfortunately, it didn't work, and there were people that did slip through. So the case was interesting because the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, actually wanted to look at the data for how this infection spread because they thought they might be able to use it to help predict how real diseases could spread. And back in 2007, 
a man named Ran Balsir, uh, who is an epidemiologist from Ben Gurion University in Israel, he compared it to the current SARS outbreak at the time and actually suggested that online games could serve as a model to study outbreaks and how they spread. Unfortunately, no further steps were taken. Now, I personally think it's sad that they didn't decide to do this. They didn't, I mean, I don't know how much information Blizzard ended up turning over to the CDC, just to, again, uh, kind of show them what, what happened. But I think it's a shame that more game companies didn't do something like this where, I mean, you don't even have to introduce a status effect that's going to harm the players, you know, the characters directly. You could have something where, okay, there's a status where when you come in contact with this, you know, this code, you, maybe your character's skin turns neon green. And, but that doesn't happen until after a certain amount of time. And of course, you can infect other people. So, what are your thoughts on this? I kind of agree. I I think that I find it fascinating that something like this could actually predict outbreaks and things like that. That something that was virtual and technically a total glitch because this was never intended to happen. Uh, the way this spread and the way it worked in World of Warcraft. It's interesting to see that it was its own pathogen kind of um, demo or um, now I'm forgetting the word for it. But That's an interesting way to put it, uh, a demo of a disease. Yeah, it was a assimilation. It was a, a pathogen simulation, simulation yeah. that they never intended to happen that gave results that could actually be studied and kind of match real world. Now, do I think they should have have like that in MMOs normally? Could be. I mean, it could be free research technically that uh, Blizzard or like Square or you know Bethesda could implement to just go here to let us know what you want to do. And you know, since nobody actually you know except for uh, gold or at that point was probably silver uh, loss for repairs. You know, because once you die, you have to repair your gear. It doesn't really do too much to the player base, you know what I mean, except maybe a slight inconvenience. But, you know, just think of maybe if we had that, because think about it. You're in a virtual world. You're doing what you would normally do in a virtual world, which might match what you would do in a game or in the real world. You know what I mean? Except for, you know, fighting raid bosses. But <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? You're doing stuff that you might do anyway. You know, going to one section of the map to another versus one large city to, you know, to like instead of raid, put it to work. Where's the infection rate? How does it go? they could put that data they could actually have real world simulations you know in these mmos which have a huge player base yeah because we've talked about video games being used for scientific research before uh you have to go to our last year's shows but we talked about that game c i think it was like sequest hero where or c hero quest something like that where they used this game that involved navigating a boat through a maze in order to determine your chances of developing Alzheimer's. And as I recall, again, it's been a long time since we recorded that episode, but I think they were saying like for every few minutes of gameplay, it was the equivalent of like, I think it was five hours worth of lab work because of the number of people they had playing it. And I think the same thing could happen with MMOs because in the the game theory video, uh, Matt Pat pointed out that researchers were trying to study three key things. The risks people take, rumors being spread, and health notices giving to the public. And, and essentially, we're trying to see how people would, you know, how people react to this news and how does it change their behavior? And again, the World of Warcraft uh, incident actually 
did give some good data, I think, at least from what I've heard, because, again, it was showing that, and Matt Pat pointed out that since this was before the days of of really live streaming, there were people, they heard about this corrupted blood incident, but since they couldn't just go to YouTube and see a video of it, they had to go to those places themselves to see the effects firsthand. And that was a risk some people would take. And unfortunately, you had some people, once their character got corrupted blood, yeah, there were some that tried to get away so they wouldn't infect other people. But there were other players who apparently were like, hey, I've got the corrupted blood plague. I'm going to see how many other players I can give it to because I'm an asshole. (laughs) Reminds me of the time, just offhand, uh, me and a, a, fr- a fr- guildmate in World of Warcraft, there's a giant spire in Dalaran that you could go up to the top and you, you could probably do it now. This flying was new. I, well, not new, but you can go to the top of this tower in Dalaran and we would just take turns jumping off <laughs> just to hit the ground and die. And it was just stupid fun. But that's kind of this, like... Are you going to go try to get infected? Are you going to try to avoid it? Are you going to, like if you're a healer, are you going to try to cleanse as many of the uh, corrupted bloods as you can from as many people as you can and see, you know, if that helps or whatnot? All this can be looked at and see what what happens, how effective it is, you know. Yeah, and it's a shame that the idea of using MMOs to study outbreaks didn't go any further than just some people saying hey maybe we should look into this because you think about it yeah you've got possibly millions of players millions of people to work with you can study how their behavior changes and best of all you can inflict them with something like the corrupted blood and no real lives are going to be lost you know it's only going to be a, you know, it's only going to be a virtual character and you can always bring them back. So, well, if scientists decided to explore the, these ideas a little further, okay, so it, it wouldn't have prevented COVID-19, but at least it would have given them a better idea of what people would do once they found out about this. Yeah. So moving on. So as we've said before, video games have been a good thing for people in quarantine and people who are dealing with social isolation. You know, it gives you that fun little pastime. But unfortunately, video games can be addicting. And I know this is a topic we've talked about uh, talked about earlier. There was an article from Gamasutra.com. Uh, there's a post by Jory Hamilton called Video Games and Addiction, Finding a Healthy Balance, posted on April 24th. And again, this is definitely very timely because you've probably got a lot more people playing video games now than they normally would. And maybe some of it is because you can't go anywhere, but I'm sure a lot of it is because unfortunately there are people who have either been laid off or have reduced hours at work. So now they they have more time to play video games. And one of the things I did like about the post is uh, Jory did mention some things that we've talked about before that video games can have positive health benefits other than just being a fun thing. And one of the things he mentioned, I don't think we've discussed this, but this might be something we could come back to at a later time. But he posted a link to an article on Medical News Today where they were saying that video games can boost memory and actually help slow down the decay of cognitive abilities in older adults. So again, that might be something we come and take a look at at a later date. So one of the things he did point out, part of the reason that video games can be so addictive is because that's part of their nature. They're designed to be fun. And, or at least a good game is designed to be fun. I'm sure we've all played games that weren't quite as fun as the developer thought they were going to be. 
and he also talks about okay the dopamine release how you know as the as you progress in a game it gets more challenging so you find new ways to overcome those challenges and once you've finally beaten that boss on level five that you you just weren't able to beat for so long you get that that feeling of accomplishment and you get that dopamine rush and he also talks a little bit in the article about loot boxes or i'm sorry ea i mean surprise mechanics surprise you have no more money (laughs) surprise you just spent five dollars for a loot box draw and you got a common piece of equipment was it EA that called it surprise mechanics? Because I think we discussed. I know we've discussed. It was the, I think it was the ESRB people, the people behind. I mean, I think EA also called it that, but I think they wanted to. We called them surprise mechanics. Yes, <laughs> because I guess calling it, you know, just trying to get more money out of our uh, audience doesn't sound doesn't it doesn't have as much of a positive ring to it. Not exactly. Oh, these are our slot machines that we want you to just keep funneling money in, and you'll never really get what you want unless you just spend big, big bucks, and even that's not guaranteed. So uh, what are your thoughts on the points that Jory was making in the article and gaming addiction? Um, I've seen it, gaming addiction and stuff like that. I don't remember if I've ever told you the story about one of my roommates once had a parent who was playing The Sims, right? I don't think you've told this story, so yeah, go please do. Okay, so they were. We could find that you know every day when she came home at work, she started playing The Sims, right? And she was always playing The Sims, and it was it was fine, you know. It was like I was glad somebody was able to use the computer for something, you know. I had my normal box for a computer, so I wasn't too worried about anything. Um, and then all of a sudden, they're like, you know. This person's not doing anything anymore except playing The Sims. They don't want to go out and they don't want to do anything. And we're just like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. But is it a problem? And we're not sure, right? And then like a week or two came up and she was crying at the computer. And everybody's like, what's going on? Why are you crying? And she's like, the parents won't take care of the baby. The kitchen's on fire. They won't do anything. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, you probably got to get off of that. You are too invested in it. You are not like, seriously, they, she was crying because the, the simulated characters would not take care of their child. Like it was crying. There was a fire going on or something. And, and they were just like, partying or something in the other room we don't know it's the sims it doesn't make sense but we're like you are too invested in this game you are too you know and we just like okay we gotta just turn it off just not deal with it anymore you know (laughs) (laughs) but i've seen people you know it's like not do things for work sit on a game you know all day and instead of doing other things you know what i mean that they possibly should do now is that just bad life choices or addiction we don't know but and i know we've had to talk about this with our son especially when he was younger and he was first starting to get into video games how you know when he got into to school and uh you know kindergarten and first grade when they started giving out homework and stuff it's like you know, he would just want to play video games and he wouldn't, he would neglect his, his homework. So, I I mean, I think it is definitely a real issue. And one of the things that Jory points out in the article is that part of the problem is that there's this stigma against seeking treatment for addiction and really any sort of mental health issue. And the, in the case of video games, they most people probably don't see it as a real problem when it can be because I mean, I've heard stories that would make the story you gave seem mild in comparison. Uh, Back around, I'm wanting to say it was 2000 or 2001. I actually think it was 2001. 
maybe 2002, because I know it was not too long after I got married. I remember seeing an article about a guy who played EverQuest, because this was back during the heyday of that particular MMO, and some people, the name they gave it was Evercrack. And there was a guy who was came so addicted to EverQuest, he, you know, used up all his sick pay and used up all his vacation time just to play EverQuest. And eventually he lost his job because he kept calling in sick to play the game. And then eventually he ended up killing himself because one of his these one of the people he knew in the game killed his character and and stole all of his equipment so that just drove him to the point where again he was so invested in it he ended up taking his life and i know we've also talked about some of the dangers of in-app purchases how there are people who they get so addicted to that that dopamine high of opening up loot boxes that it drives them to spend hundreds, even thousands of dollars that they don't have just to get virtual merchandise. So I think it's something that we, you know, that should certainly be looked at as a real problem. And I think the big, the first step we have to take is people have to get past the stigma. People have to realize that if you think you are having an addiction to video games, don't be afraid to seek help. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, a bad, terrible person. It means you have a problem. You recognize that you have a problem and you're seeking a way to correct that problem. Oh, and boy, and here's another topic we can cover in a future thing. That that article, uh, that blog actually had a link to another one about should gaming companies be concerned about addiction? That I'll agree with. Well, they are. Well, we already know the answer, though, don't we? Yeah, we unfor- don't care about people's addiction with gambling and, and loot box mechanics. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of the games, uh, again, they've just discovered that it's an it's an easy way to make more money after someone's bought the product. And I know there's, you know, we've talked about this before, how there's been legislation proposed in some places where the where they want uh, companies to disclose the odds of your chances of getting better equipment when you do a draw or a, a loot box. So, so I guess that's a step in the right direction. Not really, because it... People should well. I don't know if it. It's kind of like the warnings on the thing of the cigarette boxes. Nobody really pays attention to it that wants to smoke anyway. Yeah, that's true. So I guess if you are hopelessly addicted to a to loot box surprise mechanics, uh, the fact that okay, there's a a one in one million chance you're going to get this super rare piece of equipment that's probably not going to stop you, is it? Not really, because there's there's always that one chance that i'll get it on my first try or my second try or my third try or your seven seven hundred and fifty fourth try exactly well our next two stories before we go to the opinion section these are more or less public service announcements i guess uh both of them have to do with nintendo uh first nintendo is going to start closing down the wii u and 3ds uh stores in certain areas uh, starting in July. So if you still have unused uh, credit on your eStore accounts for, again, the 3DS or the Wii U, you might want to spend those before you lose them, before they disappear into the ether forever. Now, so far, the North America, Europe, Asia, and some of the larger markets they're not planning on shutting those e-stores down quite yet. But uh, for some of the smaller markets, you might want to look into that. Uh, again, if you look up uh, Nintendo e-store closing, you should be able to find it. So you might, if you are in any of these areas, uh, you might want to make sure you spend any remaining credits before you lose them forever. Also, speaking of Nintendo, uh, Nintendo did announce that the Switch store was several accounts were hacked 
Uh, last I heard it was like 160,000. So if you do have an account uh, set up there, you might want to take necessary precautions, maybe change your password, change your credit card information. And uh, I believe they also advise keep a lookout on your credit card statement uh, to make sure you don't have any, you know, any suspicious charges. Well, this brings us to our opinion section, and we're going to be going back around to Final Fantasy VII Remake. So, now Wayne, you had mentioned that they, Square said that there are going to be some changes to the story. So, of course, the one that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds is our poor beloved Aerith. Unfortunately, she does end up getting killed partway through... Yeah, spoiler alert for a game that's like over 20 years old. Exactly. So uh, there's been a lot of talk. Will Aerith be allowed to live? Or will she die just like she did in the original? So since you know what happened to Aerith in the original, does that make you look forward to playing the rest of the 7 remake? Or are you a little bit afraid of playing it because you just can't deal with watching Aerith die again. Oh, no, we've watched Aerith die a couple of times. We have it on repeat in the background. It's just... <laughs> every five seconds. It's it's fine. It's it's no longer a thing. The thing is, is... They've said this before, for Square Enix at least, um, for the story in that... Aerith has to die. There's no other choices. That It's integral to the story that Aerith has to die. There's no way that you can get around it. No way you can bring, it, bring her back because without her death, it's all like broken after that. So after them saying that, I don't know. You know, I... This doesn't change the way I feel about playing the next games, except for how long is it going to take them (laughs) to get them all to me at all. You know what I mean? It's going to be – now, if they change it, as long as it's not cheap and as long as it's not to just cave into fans. You know, one, it can't feel cheap. Like, oh, this never had to happen after you – claim that it had to happen for so long and to as it's not like well here you have this now because you just demand it all the time you know well if we demanded it all the time why didn't you just add that in (laughs) before you know it's like so i guess that's how i feel about it it's like i think it doesn't matter what they do with Aerith. i think pretty sure that there's going to be a large number of fans that'll be happy with it and there'll be a large number of fans that will be, you know, upset. So I, I don't think there's a win. I don't think there's a win-win situation either way. See, I guess for me, I don't have the emotional attachment to Final Fantasy VII like a lot of Final Fantasy fans do. So it doesn't really. I don't really care either way. But I guess here's the way I see it: character death. If we're talking about a permanent death, it should have meaning to it. So, like, just to go back, if we look at Final Fantasy VI, when General Leo died, or Final Fantasy V, when Galoof died, or Final Fantasy IV, when Tella died, I think in those cases, it's best for those characters to remain dead, (laughs) or actually, if you even go back to Final Fantasy II, when about half of the characters you get to play as die, in, in those cases, I think... It's important to keep those characters dead because then their deaths mean something. Because again, to go back to Final Fantasy 2, the way that game is set up is you've got your three main players that you use through most of the game, but then you've got a fourth slot that you've got with the characters that rotate in and out. One of the characters you meet fairly early in the game is named Joseph. And, you know, he has a, he asks you to uh, rescue his daughter from the, the Empire before he helps you. And then when he finally helps you, you're on your way out of a cave. There's a trap that's triggered and he holds back a boulder so the rest of the party can escape 
and unfortunately he ends up dying. Well, in that case, again, his death meant something. He sacrificed himself to save the other party members. In the case of General Leo, again, his death meant something because he was standing up to the Empire and he was being this good person that we knew was there all along. If those characters were brought back, the the impact on their death wouldn't have been as great. Now, in the case of Aerith, since I'm not intimately familiar with the story, and I admit, I might be totally wrong on this, so you know, feel please correct me if I'm wrong. Because I know she went to some temple to pray, and then Sethoroth comes behind and, and stabs her with his katana. Now, mm-hmm. in that case, I'm not sure how important her death really was to the plot. You know, so I I don't think it would kill anything for you to 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 get away to bring Aerith back. But I so the so the the weird thing is is that supposedly when Aerith is praying and trying to use the holy materia because she's got the holy materia and you, that's what you see bouncing off into the life stream at the end of the at the end of that scene supposedly her death allows her to bring a fresh understanding to the life stream and bring the planet around to attacking the meteor later Okay. That if she wasn't to die, there would be no real guiding force for the planet at that point to take the actual stand against the meteor. And that's why it's important for her to die, because if she's not there, that doesn't happen. But some people have also speculated that the planet should have its will of its own and understand what's going on and not need an active supplicant or or whatnot to guide it okay yeah that i wasn't aware of because like i said i wasn't too familiar with the story but i think what would be cool is if they did a new game plus mode that did give you a way to bring Aerith back yeah no i there was a there a rumor because some of the things apparently with some of the controversy in final fantasy 7 are kind of a time travel slash multiverse kind of thing. Now, I haven't played the game all the way through to know yet, but it might also be interesting to go, you know, if you had a new game plus, have other scenarios, if that makes sense, or different timelines, or even a what if, if you would. So what if you were able to bring Aerith back what would that look like you know almost like a like new content or even shall i say a proper use of real dlc you can go (laughs) as long as you finish the main game here's the dlc to find out what would happen you know here's the dlc for what if projects well the whole multiple timeline thing it, it worked just fine for chrono trigger so maybe they can get a find a way to make it uh work for the final fantasy 7 remake now, here's a question. Why can't we have a Chrono Trigger remake? I'm just saying. You know, I remember hearing that there wasn't a fan effort to make a Chrono Trigger remake. And yeah, I think... I shut down, I think. Which, which is a shame, because I think that's probably... You know, that's one of those game series that I think time has forgotten. Which is a shame, because it was a really good game. I mean, I know afterwards there was Chrono Cross, which was, uh, which was, I think it was technically a sequel because some of the characters from, yeah, uh, Chrono Trigger make an appearance in, in Chrono Cross. But after that, we really don't know much about it. So I agree with you. That's a game that I think deserves a remake or a remaster. I think only because I saw what they did to the Steam one. If you get a chance. Uh, look up the Steam, the controversy when they brought it to Steam um, and some of the things they did with the graphics or whatnot. But I think that's a game title that does. I think everyone should play. Like, if there's mandatory games that everybody should play, I think Chrono, Cro- uh, Chrono Trigger is one of them. 
Um, I think that's just a standout role-playing game that, you know, everybody should get to experience um, and definitely deserves, you know, a remaster or a remake um, on a better level than Square gave it when they released it on Steam. <laughs> um, I think they fixed a lot of it, but still... Well, I think this is a good place to end. Uh, you know, we've gone on, I think, a bit longer than we usually do, but then again, we haven't recorded this in several months. So, well, with that said, I'd like to thank you all for listening and hope you all stay safe from the, uh, the coronavirus and keep on gaming. Have a good day, sir. have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at poigamestudio. I I don't remember what they I think they just call it Pokemon Eevee and Pokemon Pikachu, but I I know there was a actually just a second my games are right over here. That's why they changed the naming scheme though they ran out of colors. <laughs> yeah, I just remember that. But okay. Ah! Yeah, that sound you just heard was several uh, Nintendo Switch boxes uh, falling all over my desk here. So. <laughs> Well, just look forward to the next one. Pokemon Plaid. Everything's better in Plaid. They've gone to Plaid. That was Spaceball 1. They've gone to Plaid. <laughs> Plaid. Okay, I'm keeping this for an outtake at the end.